Glad that you're here today. We are in part three of a series we're calling Outside the Lines. Uh, this is part three of four, so if you've missed either of the first two, there's a website you can go to, eastlaketricities.com slash talks, and if you uh, check that out, there's a, a place to be able to listen to the audio or watch a video of uh, what's taking place to catch up, because I know it's summertime and, and people are traveling, doing whatever. But um, the idea behind the series ha- has been... Um, the idea that Jesus really operated outside the lines in so many different ways. We know a lot about Jesus because of uh, four guys who wrote about him, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the gospel writers. It's the first four books of the New Testament. And they, they kind of captured for us a picture. They wrote down some of the things that he said. Um, some of them were, were present with him when he said these things. Some of them heard it through other people. Some of them got them stories through different things. Uh, three of them are like pretty well matched up, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's kind of its own kind of deal. But for the most part, everything we know about the person who, uh, who is Jesus came from these scenarios. And what we know about him kind of, if you have not read those individually or personally, um, when, you, when you do get a chance to sit down and actually read them someday, um, you'll, you'll notice that Jesus did not operate in the way that like, people expected him to. He hung out constantly with people he wasn't supposed to hang out with. One of the slogans that was kind of put on him was eats and drinks with sinners and tax collectors, uh, which is not like a positive thing in that scenario and that, you know, in that time or whatever. Um, and he said some things and did some things that you just weren't supposed to. It's just not, he, he just wasn't the Messiah that everybody was expecting, right? And he kind of defied expectations. He had his own agenda. He was a rebel with a cause, right? Um, over and over again, he, he responds to this, I did not come for like, like peace, and I did not come to overthrow Rome or, or set Israel straight. I came to initiate the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, to show what the kingdom of God could be like and is like and will be like on this earth, on earth as it is in heaven, right? So anyways, that has been important. So we have looked at different things, uh, and specifically in this series, we've taken that strategy uh, and looked at passages in Scripture that usually are interpreted one way, um, but then we kind of said, have you ever thought about it this way? Not to discount the original way it was taught, but to really say, from this perspective, there's also something going on here that I just don't think you can deny. And so um, last week we looked at the uh, Samaritan woman, Jesus's um, account with the Samaritan woman. And, and we know that like typically that's taught in such a way of you can be Jesus to the Samaritans in your life, right? Earn the right to be heard or earn or uh, approach and be strategic about this, offer critiques. But the fact that we, we said last week, really one of the pieces, important pieces of that puzzle is she stuck around. Like she didn't leave. She didn't respond and be like, I, I've already heard this before. I, I'm comfortable with my own guilt. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm good. She stuck around. Good for her. Kudos on her. May we be the type of people who stick around when critique is offered to, by people that we respect, who have our best interests in mind, who are trying to help us get better. Um, may we not like write it off and be like, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm good, whatever, uh, but to, to be able to take it honestly. So today, we're going to look at a passage. It's going to be a little bit different. I want you to explore with me. It's, it's a very different approach, I think, to a message than what, I, what, what maybe you are typically used to. This is more of a, this kind of... Um, was a reading of scripture that's kind of been rattling around in my head, and I just want to invite you behind the curtain for a little bit and be like, does this interest you? Does, is this the way that you read this as well? Because this is different than what I've been taught, um, but I, I really think that there's something there, and I, and I hope you'll see it. So let me, let me show you what I think you've been taught, uh, and then we'll, we'll go with, with uh, beyond that. All right, Luke 21, chapter, or chapter 21, sorry, verses 1 through 4. Um, it's called the, the widow's might. It wasn't a parable. It was according to Mark and Luke, both of them recorded this. Matthew has nothing to say about it, but in, in Mark and Luke, both of them write this down and they're both presented in really similar fashion. We're going to look at both verses, but I'm going to start with Luke's and then we'll transition to Mark's take. But first off, as Jesus looked up, 
He's in the temple, by the way. He's with his disciples, and the temple was the religious, you know, the church of that time, and so there's like a system involved in all of this, these things, and it was kind of broken, whatever. He, he had just gotten done, by the way. In Luke chapter 11, he critiques all of the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, the pastors of the day, like who have kind of grown rich and grown popular because of the religious thing, and um, has some things to say about them, like, woe to you, woe to you when, you when you operate in this way. Woe to you who load things on the back of people, like these responsibilities, obligations, these, you better do this, and you don't even do it yourself. Like, what does that say about you? As he looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. They're at the temple. They would have these, um, they would have, uh, uh, tradition says, 13 and they look like like uh, trumpets, so like narrow at one end and wider at the other. And, and these would be things that would be placed all around. You could go drop free will offerings inside the temple to help kind of facilitate the temple and the the the, uh, the animal sacrifices and just the you know the, pro, the the upkeep of the temple to make sure it's in working order. He saw a poor widow. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. This is a part of the story we're familiar with. Everybody else is showing rich stuff. Some of them are making a big scene about it. This lady comes on very, very seemingly very quietly, uh, a poor widow, um, and puts in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others, which doesn't add up math-wise. We know this. Uh, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She doesn't have very much. She put in all that she had to live on. Now, typically, this has been taught as sort of a moral kind of, right? I mean, this is like morally... Um, this is a challenge for us. Um, you should give, people in my position, um, stand up, uh, or you've been a part of a church, you grew up in, in church, this is a familiar story for you, and it's always followed up with a challenge to you to give until it hurts, right? Or to, uh, um, uh, to, to ask yourself the question, is, is, am, I, am I giving comfortably, or am I, am I sacrificing, is God calling me to give uh, more in this way? Now, I get it. I understand how that could be taken. And, and typically the fill in the blanks, if, if you went to that kind of a church where they're like, oh, we're going to have some fill in the blanks on the bottom. And uh, the, the blanks on the bottom were all gave some, some gave all. And you're like, oh, that's really good. She gave all. Even though all gave some, the rich, some gave all. And then you heard, you're like, that phrase feels familiar. If it feels familiar to you, it should. It's the phrase that is oftentimes in the backdrop of like America the Beautiful, and, and like uh, there's like a World War II scene, right, and like that, and so that's part of it. Or if you're like, no, that's not it, there's something more, kudos on you. You know that that's also the chorus line of a song by Billy Ray Cyrus called Some Gave All, and you are so much more with it. I believe we have a picture of the, the CD, if you have not seen this, Some Gave All. Uh, you guys, I found this last night as I'm typing this out going, I remember, that phrase sounds really familiar. Where did I find this? Like two hours later, I'm in this click hole of Billy Ray Cyrus stuff. So there you go. All right. Uh, so so a, lot of, a lot of that pressure or um, one of the questions that came up in one of the commentaries I was reading uh, was how much was left over, the value of this gift or the importance of this gift or the significance of it. How much is left over? When the rich give, even though they write big checks, there's still a lot in the bank account. When this woman gave, it appears that she gave out of her poverty. We don't know if she had more at home, but Jesus doesn't know. He doesn't go into this and say, that was everything she ever owned, right? He, he just says, he just, this, she gave all. This is what she had that day, and this would have been a significant thing for her. Two small coins, by the way, they were known as leptas. 
Um, and it would be like the lowest form of currency in that time. Um, very, very, uh, the, they would be called the thin ones. Um, do you remember if your dad ever traveled as a kid and he went overseas and when he would come back, kids are always like, would you bring me, would you bring me, right? So this is my childhood. Would you bring me, would you bring me? And he would reach into his pocket and he'd pull out coins from whatever you know, place that he had just come from. And, I, and I'd be looking at them and they would say things like, $50 on them. And you'd be like, $50 in a coin? These were old Mexican pesos. So th- I'd be like, how much is this worth? And he'd be like, I don't want to tell you, right? Because basically worthless is what the answer was to that question. I didn't know that. I thought I had $50 in my hand. I'm like dreaming of ways to spend this stuff. These coins would be essentially worthless. That's what's taking place here. This woman gives this stuff that is very low in, in, in worth. Anyways, all right. So that's probably how you've taken this. And right now you're probably thinking, good grief, of all the Sundays to come to church, now there's going to be like, they're usually do the blue bins at the top of the ramp. There's probably going to be a bucket that's going to be passed, and there's going to be some massive obligation. And they're probably going to play Billy Ray Cyrus, some gave all over the, all over the audio, and, and it's going to be terrible. And I'm just going to pass the, anyways, that, that's not true. So that could be a way to interpret this. And I think growing up, that's the way, anytime I heard this story, that was the context in which I heard this story. But when it's presented here, I want to look at, I think there's more going on here than what we're used to. So I want to rewind it a little bit. That was the first verse of chapter 21. I want to look at the last verse, verses, few verses of chapter 20. Now, one thing to keep in mind, the whole chapters and verses thing wouldn't come along for hundreds of years. It was an administrative tool to help people, you know, d- 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 figure out where in, in Paul's letters or these different things, they, they, it would come into play. It was a, a useful thing, but it wasn't like Paul sat down or, or Mark or Luke sat down and wrote, all right, next chapter, flip the page. Like, they didn't do that. This would have been one scroll, top to bottom, read all the way through. So for me to go back and say, let's look at the previous three verses, doesn't mean, well, that could be totally different. This probably plays into what we're talking about. So let's look at chapter 20, verses uh, 45 through 47. While the people were listening... Jesus said to his disciples, beware of the teachers of the law. Beware of those who benefit from the religious system. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. And then he goes into this story of the widow's might. Then he contrasts the rich versus those who are giving out of their poverty. So in this scenario, he illustrates something for us that we kind of know whether we're religious or not, Christian or not, right? Money and power do weird things to people. They make strange people, or they make normal people act in strange ways. Um, If you have ever uh, been a part of a family where a, a relative dies and leaves an inheritance and they're trying to divvy up the estate, you understand the social dynamics and the, it gets weird. It just gets, it's just, it's just weird. It's like, ugh, it's, this is, ugh, I don't like this. If you've ever worked with somebody and they've been a peer with you forever and then they get promoted and all of a sudden they're your supervisor and they're now the ones dictating the schedule and they're the ones that are like, all right, guys, here's what we're going to do, right? And then you kind of like make the jokes and make the offhand comments about the business or whatever. And all of a sudden they're like high and mighty and they're like, well, we can't joke about that, you guys, right? I could write you up for that. And you're like, come on, Brian, you are, you're the same guy, dude. Don't leverage this oh, I got promoted now. You have this title thing. You know what I mean? Like there's an awkwardness when somebody gets promoted and it wasn't you, and, but then now, they're, now they're your boss, but they were like 48 hours ago your peer. It's weird. 
Power and money does weird things to people. It just does. This is so true today. This is true 2,000 years ago when this takes place. He's looking at this and going, these people, these religious leaders, they've gotten rich and powerful. They, now they have these giant robes to be able to define themselves and differentiate themselves from all of us peasants and togas and whatever else we're wearing, right? Uh, so this is very clear. They pray in these lengthy prayers because they know words that we don't know. Uh, and uh, you may not know this, but rabbis were um, required legally to perform their services or to be teachers of the law at no cost. Um, however, and they were supposed to have these like side jobs to be able to support these things. Um, but it was also taught, there was like a proverb that was taught. There was a thing like, it wasn't scriptural, but it's, it's a little bit like, it's, it's not scripture, but it's really important. You should listen to this. And one of these phrases goes like this. Whoever puts part of his income into the purse of the wise is counted worthy of a seat in the heavenly academy which sounds a lot like indulgences in the Catholic Church a few hundred years ago, right? It sounds a lot like, oh, this is benefiting a select few amount of people, and they're putting this divine stamp on this, which is really a broken system, and it's ugly, and it's nasty, and it feels gross, and it feels really gross because it's, like, religious, and they're putting the name of God associated with it. And so this is, this is getting really, really... Uh, ugly and nasty. It, it feels like a lot of time and, and going with this, right? If you've ever been somewhere where there's like, well, this is free, but there is a tip jar. Like if you want to, you can, you know, feel no obligation, but kind of obligation. You know what I mean? That's what's going on in this scenario. And these men are getting rich over this thing. And Jesus points this out to these guys and goes, they're going to be punished most severely. And listen, it is above my pay grade to talk about, well, what kind of punishment does that? What, are you, what is he talking about? I don't know, okay? I'll leave that for, for other people. You should read up on that. That'd be a fun little research. Uh, that'd, be a, that'd be a worthy click hole. Stay away from Billy Ray Cyrus. Do that one and figure that out. Anyways, like today, those who are most impressionable and vulnerable were those who were most taken advantage of. Because what does he say there? They are devourers of widows' homes. When a system is set up in this way, it takes advantage typically of those who are unable to kind of um, see the full spectrum of this and um, um, uh, are, are, are too busy. Or in, in this society, really, um, it was such a male-dominated society, a widow would have, wouldn't have, would be out of the covering of a, of a male authority figure. And so there would be, um, there's issues about what kind of property they could own. There was issues about um, uh, their, their, their safety, all kinds of things taken back. And, and, and so, hey, we can offer you some protection. We can offer you some wisdom. We can offer you this if you just give us some money in this way. And it's, it's gross and it's terrible. But listen, it's not just reserved for this antiquity, right? It's not just like, oh, that's something that we dealt with a long time ago. I remember as a kid, my great-grandma grew up in Gar- or, uh, lived in Garibaldi, Oregon when I knew her. I, I, she died when I was about 12 years old. Um, but we used to take trips down to Garibaldi, Oregon, to go visit her in her house that her husband had built uh, when he immigrated over into the States. And um, my grandpa grew up in this home. This was his uh, childhood home. And it's up on the hill. If you've ever been to Garibaldi, I don't know why you would ever go there. But if you ever found yourself in Garibaldi, it's kind of close to Tillamook. So if you go to the cheese factory and do that, uh, that was like the, my parents would be like, we're going to go visit great grandma. Oh, we're going to go to the Tillamook cheese factory, though. Hey, ice cream. So anyways, that was my childhood. Um, I love my great grandma, but anyways, her name was Mamie, and a big white house, and a couple of things I remember from the house. Um, one, over the years, she had collected shells and put them in her yard as if it was like a garden, right? It's a coastal town. It was the, 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 um, there's like an ocean thing, right, that you could go crabbing like down the hill. Just You could walk there. So she'd found all these shells and collected them over the years and put them all in her yard. 
So anytime we would come and visit, my sister and I would go out with little buckets and just collect all these shells. Like we grew up thinking, shells are everywhere. If you're in Oregon, they're just, they're all over the place. They're not just at the beach. No, 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 no. They're in the garden. They're perfectly placed. It's amazing, right? So I, I, I can imagine now looking back on it, how much she must have hated when we brought her shells from her garden, right? Her thinking, as soon as you leave, I have to go put all these back. Get these kids out of here. You know what I mean? That's probably what was happening. I thought I was doing her a favor. Number two, um, I remember sleeping in her loft. She had like a loft upstairs, and it was one of those roofs where it wasn't like, um, you know, eight foot across. It wasn't flat. It was arched, and she would tuck her bed. My bed would be in the, in the corner. So every time you'd wake up in the morning, you're like staring at the wood that's like right here, you know? I, just remember, I remember that. And I remember, here's why I remember that, is because um, in the mornings, I would wake up to the sound of her watching TV downstairs. Um, because she was hard of hearing, she got hard of hearing late, late and um, my grandpa and my, my parents would offer to buy her one of those headphones, hey, you can listen to this, you know, put these little earbuds in, and you can listen to whatever t- volume you want, and she was a very stubborn woman, um, being like, you are guests in my house, I will listen to the TV volume level, whatever I want, and you will deal with it, basically, so six in the morning, I would hear things going on, and typically, tele-evangelists downstairs, she was way into... Um, these televangelists. And I went to my mom uh, this, this week and, and asked her, I said, or mom and dad. And I said, I remember waking up to her watching and the volume level, am I getting this right? And she's like, yeah. Um, and she said, and I asked who it was and I, I hesitate to, to even like say it and single it out. But um, she said it was a guy named Peter Puffy. And, and I, I'm pretty sure I did a Google search. That guy doesn't exist. I think that was a nickname that my mom had given because he did some sort of prayer, like, puffy, poof, you know, whatever. Uh, poof, there it is. And so it was Peter Puffy. Uh, and uh, come, I didn't know that. I just knew that she watched him. Come to find out um, later on as I got older, um, my grandparents would talk about what was going on is that she began sending money and it began, you know, feeding more things. And there'd become more envelopes would come in and there'd be little, little trinkets, little tokens. Plant this seed in the ground. And if it grows so too will your wealth. Send money back, and we'll send you more seeds. Or um, they remembered one was a hanky. Like, take this special hanky. It's, it's a prayer hanky, and it's been blessed, and it's got whatever on it. And, or one of them, I, I do remember, too, was a, a prayer mat, but it was just a piece of paper with an oil rug printed on it. Wrap, unwrap it, lay it down, and, and then pray, and then, um, and then send money back. They always included that little disclaimer at the end. P.S., don't forget to send money. We want this mat back. And if you get a chance, put 20 bucks in as well. You know, that kind of thing. Stupid. And uh, it, became, it became a pattern for her. And my grandpa had to go. He, uh, my dad told me this last night. My grandpa went and talked to my neighbor and said, I need you to do me a favor. His na- the neighbor of my grandma. I need you to go check her mail for you, or for, for me. And I, I want you to filter the mail before um, she gets it. And if you see anything from Peter Puffy, would you just throw it away, you know? Um, and so this is, and, and it's terrible. And you, and you, we've seen these stories. We know these things are, dude, this, this last week, this is how friggin' broken this whole thing is. Um, as pastor, uh, there's a televangelist, let me clarify, uh, out of Louisiana named Jesse Duplantis, who felt God was telling him in his third jet that he needed a fourth jet to be able to reach all of the people who need Jesus, and I just can't do it from a commercial airline standpoint because, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. That would be impossible. I don't know how that would be impossible. So we've got a little picture, I think, of, of him 
doing this. This, this is a Facebook video that he made this week. Um, God says, I need a plane. These are pictures of, of the three jets he currently owns. And then the fourth one that you can't quite see is the one that he wants to get, which is the Falcon X5. That's $54 million, whatever. Um, and uh, Jesus wouldn't be, this was his comment. This was his defense. Jesus, if he was around today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey, you know? <laughs> no, but there is a donkey involved in this scenario, as a matter of fact. Um, so anyways, all right. I'm, listen, this is easy target material, right? Like, even if you're not religious, you're like, okay, so what? We're against that? Yes, of course. But there's something more here, okay? Ooh, I thought I just got shot by Jesse Duplantis fans. Dude, heart is beating, y'all. Let me take a drink of this. I'm not sure what happened there. All right. He's a great guy. We should do you know, whatever. Leave him be. Yeah. Checks in the mail. I'll, I'll send him something. By the way, uh, side note, this isn't in my notes, but um, John Oliver is the guy who hosts Last Week Tonight on HBO, and, and uh, he, he had this great bit a while, um, I think it was last season, where... He, he gets on there. He does this thing where it's like, for six months, we've been doing this. Um, and we, we have been sending, I don't, know, I don't think it was Jesse, I think it was somebody else, but um, sending back and forth, and they've been responding back. And he, he goes, here's what we've gotten over six months. And he blows this stack. And you should watch. It's, it's really funny. And it's really great. Uh, the language is uh, uh, NSFBM, so like not safe for Brent's mom. Um, so you have to be careful. I couldn't, even, I couldn't even show it on a Sunday. We have we do have some standards, right? It would just be so many ducks that I just, we, it wouldn't be worth it. But if you don't have any standards, you should watch it because it's really good. Um, just on your own time. And I don't know where you heard about it, but listen. All right. As bad as all of that is, there's something more going on here, I think, okay? So we can look at it and say, okay, the widow's might thing, um, that approach of some gave all, all gave some, we should do something. And we can see like that, the, the broken nature in that a little bit. And we can see a little bit about what's going on with, with, with all that. So, so let me, I want to I read through Mark's take on it, which is going to be a little bit different, but, but fairly similar. But before we do, I want you to watch something that was introduced to me by my kids, uh, my uh, almost fifth grader, going into fifth grade, she's 10, not London, found a show called Brain Games on Netflix, and it's kind of brain teasers and all this, and you think this, but this, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, she had me watch something uh, a few weeks ago, and I immediately thought of it when I looked at this passage, so watch this. Pay attention. This is a test. Try to count the number of footballs, like this one, as they fly across the screen. You have 10 seconds. Ready? Go. count all 27 footballs? It's not easy. But the funny thing is, you didn't need to count any of them to get the right answer. How could you possibly know the number of footballs without counting them? Because the answer was hidden in plain sight, right on the scoreboard. While you were focused on what your brain thought was important, counting the footballs, you missed some vital information. All right, how many of you guys saw that? You saw it go through. I mean, you guys missed it completely. 
Yeah, exactly. See, us competitive people, we hear you have 10 seconds and we go, okay, locked in. Let's do this thing, right? Shh, shh, put the phone away. I got to focus here. One, two, three, four, five, six. So I, so we did this and Lennon goes, you didn't see it. You didn't see it. And I was like, there's 27 footballs. And I was right, right? Uh, but she's like, yeah, but you didn't even have to count, right? And, and so you missed, you missed what was right in front of you. That's, that's what's happening here. That's what I think is so important. Look at this. Let's, let's read through this. Uh, 20, uh, 41 through 44, Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. It's all the same. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents, calling his disciples to him. Calling his disciples to him. Come here, guys. Come here. Come on, train. Training session. He would do this over and over again, by the way. There would be, like, they'd be out on the countryside, and he's, he's about to say something really smart, and he'd be like, hey, before I do this, hey, come here, everybody huddle up. Huddle. Come on. Training, training mode. I don't want you to miss this. I don't have to explain this 14 different, 12, excuse me, 12 different times. Could you please just all come here, and I want to do it one time. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, and she put in all that she had to live on. Now, I, I used, again, I grew up thinking that this was like, uh, so you guys go and do likewise. Anytime you get money, you 12 disciples, you go and you give until it hurts, you give until there's nothing left, you blah, 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 blah. But there's, there's really no, he, he's not, when I, when I read through this now, I think, I don't know that he's necessarily saying this as the widow is a moral exemplar of what you should do. This is not a praiseworthy effort from her. Like, I, he's not disregarding or downgrading her efforts. He's just saying, look it, the system is broken. The temple system was in place to be able to, yes, carry out the, uh, the things that are going on in the temple, but also to provide so that for the, for the widows, to, to be provide for widows and orphans. It shows up over again. This is part of the system. And the system is taking advantage of the very people it was supposed to be designed to help. This is, this is him not saying, do this, go and do this. He's saying, come here, come here, look at this. This is broken. If you'll take notice of this, something is broken here. Which, mean, which makes sense because what does he do in that previous verse? He critiques the people who are running the system, who are benefiting from taking advantage of these broken people. Then he brings them together and says, I want you to notice that it's broken. And then the very following passage, he talks about the future destruction of the temple. He looks up and he says, you see all this stuff? It's all coming down. You see all this? You see how this is all just kind of, nothing like this will stand. The kingdom of heaven looks nothing like this. This is what he's trying to tell them. Look at this. Focus on this. Take notice of this. This is broken. The kingdom of heaven looks nothing like this. Don't walk around blindly um, amidst a broken system and not understand what is truly taking place. Those disciples probably had grown up in the temple system. They, they had seen all of this. They know. They probably even go, it's not right. I mean, there's definitely some people. They, they, it was not a, like a newsflash to them that there were men who were taking advantage of the system for their own personal benefit. What they probably failed to see was the victim in all of this, who is the person who's now giving out of their destitution, giving everything that they had to live on, and, and not praising her, but saying, look at what it's doing to her. 
the kingdom of heaven looks nothing like this. So if you've ever, if you've ever looked at a broken system, especially one that has a religious association with it, where the finances or the power or the everything else is broken, and you thought, you see, I, and I'm going to disregard Christianity as a result of it. No, no, no. If you follow Christ in the way that he leads, he would look at it and said the same thing. He did it right here. He looks at it and says, take notice of it. It's broken. The kingdom of heaven is nothing like this. So you can take this into like, okay, so how do you take this personally? What do you, what do, you do? Well, is there anything in, in the way that you operate, the way that you live, in your line of work, in your industry, taking advantage of poor people, taking advantage of people who uh, it's hurting the people it's supposed to help? Is it like that short-term lending? Is it the payday loans? Is it all this kind of stuff? It's like the, the percentage. There's obviously a victim. Don't be blinded to this. Take notice, the kingdom of heaven is nothing like this. I thought of it even this week with all of this immigration kind of stuff that's going on this way. And I, listen, you know, I'm like the most non-political guy ever, right? I, but there's so, there's so much that I, I don't need Twitter to tell me how to feel or how to vote or whatever. But I look at it and I, I think about it and I look at the, the, uh, the state of, of um, all kinds uh, of our existence and our government or whatever. And I, there's just a reminder for me that it draws me back in. And he says, don't lose sight of the victims in all of this and realize, realize the kingdom of heaven is nothing like this. And he doesn't stage in, uh, like this, okay, my mission is going to be over, overthrow the temple. My mission is going to be replace it. My mission is going to be get involved in this. He's like, my mission is to initiate the kingdom of heaven. And if I can get people on board for that, that will then trickle down and people will begin to see I don't take advantage of those people. I don't put myself in a place where I get personal benefit at, at the, for them being, you know, in that spot. He's like, that's not, that's that's broken system. That can never work in that way. The kingdom of heaven looks nothing, nothing like that. So I don't have a, like a, well, here's what you got to do, guys. You got to call your people. You got to do this. You got to vote this way. You got to get out. You got to not do that. You got to, or the opposite or whatever. Listen, all I'm saying is, May we be the type of people, both personally, but then as a nation, as a church, who don't lose sight of who is suffering in the process, who are the victims of a, uh, a system that benefits a select few, and then look at it and, and not walk away and thinking, you know what? The kingdom of heaven is nothing like that. It's nothing like that. May I be the type of person, may I be the type of pastor as I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this going, I don't want to fall into that. Help me to see if there's a blind spot for me as I'm going through with this. Help us as a church to be on the right side of that, to understand, to, to be the ones who are like Jesus, calling people, who we gather together to call ourselves in. Come here, come here, come here. Let's look at this. Let's look at this. Let's see it for what it is. Let us not fall into the trap of doing this. What system am I failing to notice? Worse, am I participating somehow? One of the songs that we just sang, the third song, Jesus, My Captain, um, these are the words that were on the screen that most of you sang. Sometimes we don't realize the words that we're singing, like we just sing because they're up there or whatever. But your truth is a compass that points me back north. Father, may your truth be a compass that guides us back north. May we follow in your footsteps of making your kingdom on earth as it already is in heaven. May we see the discrepancies between what is and what could be and what should be. And may we be a part of the solution. Let's pray. Father, 
We ask for wisdom in identifying what that looks like on a personal level. Um, we ask for uh, guidance as we internalize this and um, become people who seek your kingdom first, who operate on the principles that are sometimes backwards and outside the lines from what is supposed to, how society is supposed to work or we've been told it's supposed to work. May we take our lead from you. And may we, uh, may we respond in a, in a way that makes you proud of us and, and um, is in line. May people see you through the way that we live and the things that we say and the things that we act and the ways that we act. God, give us wisdom to know what to do with what we've heard today. Courage to act on it in your name. Amen.